right, class, I've got 7.45 here on the clock in the church. All right. Uh, sister, would you get us started with prayer? Certainly. Father, we just thank you. You are such a good father. You continue to watch over us and to keep our minds and our hearts stayed on you, Lord. So we are grateful to come together this evening to study your word, Father, so that we can be encouraged, we can be enriched, we can be enlightened. And in this way, Father, we can touch the lives of others. We ask that your Holy Spirit be our guide and lead the one that teach the class tonight. Give him divine inspiration. Give him the wisdom from heaven. And give us teachable spirits, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, sister. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, I apologize for the late message, but I, I hope you at all had remembered that we were not quite finished last week. Uh, as a matter of fact, we only got about halfway through last week's lesson, uh, which is fine. A lot of good conversation, a lot of comments, a lot of questions just the way I like it, uh, but we do want to finish the lesson out tonight, and I do, uh, if you still have your notes, you can just keep using the same notes. If for some reason you deleted the email or lost the notes, uh, you can just let me know, and I'll resend them to you, but uh, as you know, we're talking about salvation, and last week we spent uh, the majority of our time talking about the gospel and the power of the gospel, how the Holy Spirit works through the power of the gospel to convict uh, hearts, convict minds, bring, bring a person to a place where they become uh, persuaded, become convinced of the truth of the message of the cross. Now, Obviously, it's not some sort of like magic, you know, formula or magic incantation. Uh, you know, Paul makes it very clear. He writes in 1 Corinthians, you know, the message of the cross is foolishness, uh, you know, to the Greeks, a stumbling block to the Jews. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of people that hear the gospel message and, uh, and do not respond to it or don't respond to it in a favorable way. But for those who do, uh, there is that moment where they believe that gospel and respond, and we can, we can sort of point to that moment as when uh, salvation begins to sort of take hold, when that person begins to go through that born-again process. And um, that led us into repentance, and we'll start here Tonight, I know we spoke a little bit about it last week, but just kind of want to go, uh, kind of start fresh with this idea of repentance. When, when one hears the message of the cross, when we realize uh, what our sin and what the sin of the whole world has uh, has cost. Uh, our Savior has cost Jesus Christ, that, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to die, to 
to come into this world, that the world might be saved, that people should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we hear those words, uh, and, and, we, and we believe those words, our, when faith begins to uh, grow in us, uh, the first sign, the first fruit, the first evidence of that faith is a change in our attitudes. Uh, most specifically, our attitude towards sin and our attitude towards God. Uh, I don't know how to characterize the modern... I, I know it was mentioned, I think, maybe it was you, Sister Marjorie, who talked about the world, uh, the culture of our modern times not really having any sense of sin or any sense of morality, any sense of right and wrong. But, uh, you know, that, and that's true to a degree. You can certainly see many, many evidences of how, you know, the world has basically done away with this idea of sin, at least in the moral sense. Uh, There's definitely things that the world thinks are wrong, uh, there's a lot of things that they uh, call evil that are actually good in some sense, and they call a lot of things good that are actually evil in another sense. But when we begin to really understand how our sins have separated us from God, how we are now under condemnation, we feel that condemnation, we feel that conviction, and we realize that... Uh, you know, we are offenders and trespassers and children of wrath and workers of iniquity and all of those great biblical phrases that talk about the lost. Uh, it, it should, if, if it's genuine faith, if it's real faith, it should affect this change of attitude. We should begin, it's not that we don't, you know, we automatically just sort of, uh, you know, understand everything or comprehend everything, but we should really begin. I'm always, I'm always a little suspicious, a little concerned when someone begins to profess faith, but they still don't see the sin in their life as a problem or as a threat or as, or as an offense. Uh, sort of this just as I am mentality, uh, taken in the wrong sense of, well, God loves me this way, I don't need to change. That's not genuine faith. Uh, that person has not understood or comprehended the true message of the cross. Because if they did, there would be a significant change in their attitude towards sin. And then the second part of the change of attitude is their change of attitude toward God. You know, they they begin to see God and see Christ. Uh, You know, I I don't know what we would quantify or how we would describe the modern world's definition of God or their attitude toward God, but it's it's certainly not a biblical one. You know, the biblical concept of a holy, just, righteous God, a God who uh, is to be feared, you know, the Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. Jesus himself said we ought to fear the one who can destroy the soul with the body in hell. Um, 
that doesn't seem to be the way that the world really uh, sees God. I, I guess to the degree that people consider God or, or believe in God, uh, it seems to me, and maybe some of you have an opinion here, they believe sort of in a God of convenience, the, uh, the grandfather God that indulges their desires or, the, or their wants, or you know, the, the genie in the bottle God that grants them their wishes. And, and this, is, this attitude is also affected when genuine faith, uh, when, when conviction from the Holy Spirit produces a clear-eyed picture of God as much as it produces the clarity of seeing ourselves for who and what we are. The first step of repentance is that change of attitude. And then there's the change of direction, the change of, of, uh, uh, of, of what our life becomes about. Uh, we, we, most people, even quite a few people who claim to be saved, uh, our life is primarily about our own self uh, interest, our own selfish desires. We, you know, we got a lot of, <laughs> I know I've made the comment in the past, and I hope it doesn't come across the wrong way. I, I don't mean it to be, uh, I, don't, I don't mean it to be super critical. It's just an observation that, you know, I try to s- speak to just kind of challenge uh, and, and make sure we're where we're supposed to be. But, you know, any, any survey of, you know, the worship music of the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years, you're going to find a lot, a lot, a lot of worship music that focuses on the worshiper rather than the one who is to be worshipped. And, and that might be true. You know, I, I haven't lived long. I didn't live 100 years ago, 200, 500 years ago, and I haven't studied it. That might be true of all ages. You know, that might just be an inherent aspect of, of, of human nature. We do focus on ourselves. We do focus on, you know, what benefits. One of the problems we have with a lot of the gospel that's being preached today, if I may offer a small critique, uh, uh, yeah, at some point, uh, a great majority of, well, I can't say majority because I don't know, but uh, a seeming significant amount of preachers and churches uh, have seemed to have decided that the gospel on its own, just the message of the cross, just the message of the resurrection, is by itself not enough. That, you know, something has to be added to, I guess, you know, sweeten the deal, some, some temporal promise, some uh, blessing, some, you know, provision beyond salvation, beyond <laughs> eternal life. And you, you're, if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, what, if I'm not satisfied with eternal life, what else can you offer me? But, we see that gospel of today that offers more than just salvation. It offers financial blessing. It offers power, influence, all, all, all the things that, that the, the flesh lusts after. And 
when we come to genuine faith, when we come to genuine repentance, we're supposed to be turning away from that. Uh, our life isn't supposed to be about, you know, what's in it for me or, or what do I get? Or, you know, well, you know I want to make sure I get my, what's mine and my blessings anymore. Our, our life, according to the Apostle Paul, is, is supposed to be crucified with, cross, with Christ on the cross. And it's supposed to be Christ living in us. So the second aspect of, of genuine repentance, produced by genuine faith, is that turning away from, or that change of direction from, the selfish pursuit toward, uh, uh, toward our own comforts and our own lusts and our own ambitions and toward the, the Godward direction, the upward calling, Paul called it, uh, the upward call of the gospel, of, uh, of the high calling of Christ Jesus. So that is a second aspect of repentance, that turning of direction. Uh, do I have any comments or questions on this part or anything we've covered so far? Yeah, I agree with what you were saying um, in some of the modern-day teachings in regards to salvation. It's salvation and, you know, it's eternity, but what's happening in the present and how can I live a successful life or how can I um, be wealthy? And a lot of times the emphasis is being placed on the here and now, the things that will perish and not on what we are storing up for eternity. Yes. And, and, and I find that troubling, and I'm sure you do as well. Um, and we, don't, we certainly don't want to deny the blessings that God provides for us in this world. He, he's a good God. He takes care of his children. He feeds us. He clothes us. He puts roofs over our head. He, he's, you know, there, there's not, the intent here is not to say, that God doesn't do anything for us other than just save us. Uh, but to, your, to what you said and what I said earlier, um, it, it is troubling that for a, a big majority or a big uh, a group of people in the church, and you know, I'm most familiar with the Pentecostal churches. I can't really speak too well to what happens in other denominations, other movements. But within my movement, the movement I'm a part of, uh, it, it troubles me that there are many who simply think that the gospel by itself isn't enough. It's not enough, and and you know maybe I should, you know maybe I'm maybe I'm living proof. You know our churches are getting smaller by the day. The 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 world seems to have no interest. In the gospel, so maybe they're, you know, maybe that I understand why why they feel like they have to dress it up, why they have to, you know, embellish it and have to add things to it. But it, it's troubling. Uh, it's troubling because if anyone comes to Christ for any other reason, you know, I I, I, I was I've counseled many people. You talk with many people over here. You know, people are always asking me about this, that, or the other, and, and I'm always here to help them. And, you know, and they'll say, well, what does the Bible say about this issue, that issue, or, you know, marriage, kids, uh, you know, uh, uh, happiness, whatever. And, I'm, I, and my, 
The thing I try to say is, yes, the Bible speaks to all those matters. The Bible's an incredible book, but it's not written as a marriage handbook. It's not written as a handbook on how to raise your kids. It's not written as a dietary guide. It's not written strictly to be a, you know, a, a financial uh, investment uh, uh, and practice guide. Uh, you, you can find those principles in the Scriptures, but the Bible is written to bring you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you don't deal with that first, if you don't make that the main thing, then it does not matter about whatever other benefits uh, you may uh, receive or, or you may find in, in, uh, in the Scriptures or in the church or, or in serving God. It, you know, it's like, you know, if, if, if the engine is blown in your car, you know, you can go spend your money on a nice paint job and get some new tires and, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, put a nice new sound system in it. But if you don't fix the engine, you're not going anywhere. And, of course, for us, for, the, for, human, for human beings, the engine, our life engine is our soul. It's our, it's our spirit. It's the eternal part of us. And if we don't deal with that and get that part right, none of these other uh, benefits or blessings or whatever you want to call them will be of, of any real value. So I don't know. Maybe some others on the call have a, have a comment here. I'm going to make some room for you. I don't know why we feel we need to embellish the gospel. I believe the gospel is sufficient in and of itself. Uh, but if somebody else has, has a comment here, please uh, please uh, speak in, into this. Well, um, Pastor, I agree with everything you say, and, but um, the main emphasis should not be, when you come to Christ, on the materialistic thing, that the benefits, the material benefits. Because if one looks at the test of Job, right, the test came because the enemy thought that Job was actually serving the Lord, in my opinion, for what God was doing for him materially and didn't see that eternal part of the old thing of Job. In other words, he was, the enemy was saying, Job trusts you, but only because, in my opinion, only because of the fact that he, he, you give him a lot of children, you give him land, you give him cattle. So the main emphasis on serving Christ should not be, um, in my opinion, just the other benefits. No, no, the scripture says you must seek first the kingdom of God, and then all other things shall be added. So the speaking should be the kingdom of God and the service you give to the Lord, and be aware that in the service of the Lord, there are going to be some suffering for the cross sake. Right, because Jesus, the scripture says, if you suffer with him, you should also reign with him. So I agree with what you're saying. So the emphasis should not be on, well, I get a big house, I get a car, I get this. It should be on the eternal value that comes to us by accepting Christ, or the spiritual values. I don't know if you Amen. think of it, but that's what I'm thinking, you know. Oh, amen, amen. And I think it's I think it's symptomatic, brother. And I I, I think we're all kind of recognizing sort of the same 
the same thing. It, it, it's symptomatic, in my opinion, of not just a problem with the world, but a problem with the church, a problem with those that preach the gospel. If we don't think ourselves that the gospel is by itself sufficient, that uh, just the gospel message alone in its simplest, you know, purest form is enough for people. If we don't believe it, then how can we expect the world to believe it? If we have to add some extra spice to it to, you know, dress it up, make it, you know, make it about something more, then no wonder the world looks at us and say, well, okay, you say if I serve God, I'll be rich, but you know, I, if I go over here to Wall Street or I go over here to the casino or, uh, you know, that, the, the issue is to me, um, we have, we here in the church have the pearl of great price. We, we have the treasure hidden in the field. We have the one thing to offer to this world, to offer to people in this world that they cannot get anywhere else. You know, you can get rich and not be a Christian. You can, you can, you can get power. You can get influence. You can, you can have a lot of different pleasures and benefits. In your life. All of these things the world can give you. What we have to offer is something that the world cannot give. And yet we downplay it, and we treat it like it's of little value, and we go and try to compete with, uh, compete with all the things that the world can offer. And, and I've said this in the past, and I know I've repeated myself on this many times over the years. Um, but, you know, I, I mentioned worship earlier, and I, I really, you know, I know for a lot of people, church and worship are very synonymous. And I know a lot of people that put, I know churches that put, you know, more effort and money and time and and expertise into their their sound systems and their presentations and their video boards and their uh, and they go out and they hire actually pay the best musicians to come and play and hire the best singers to come and sing and they put on a show and a concert that's you know. Uh, you know, worthy of a Broadway stage or worthy of a, you know, of a, of, of a music hall. Uh, and yet, and people will come, they'll come to see it. They'll come to listen. They'll come to hear. Um, and, and yet there's no, there's no life to it. Uh, you're getting in church, what you could easily get outside of church. And that does not mean that we shouldn't do our best and have our best musicians and our best singers and, and our best effort and, and, and put our best into it. Absolutely, we should. But we should remember that if a life is changed, if a soul is saved, if uh, a family uh, is, is restored, if, if a body is healed, it's not because we sang the perfect note or we, we made the best presentation then. It's because of the power of life that's in us was used by the Holy Spirit to minister through us. And that is where 
uh, I, you know, our focus and our attention should be. I, I, I know we're talking about repentance, and I think this is something we, even after we're saved, you know, we need to repent of sometimes, is the sense that we got to go out here and compete with the world for the attention, for the, for the appreciation of the masses, when in reality we have something the world can never have. We can offer people something that the world cannot offer, and that should be um, our focus, that when people come in or when people hear the gospel, we're giving them something they cannot get anywhere else. Okay, sermon's over on that. Anybody else want to speak to that? Um, on that pasta, I was... Um approached once by one person from one of our, not Church of God, but one of our, which is called Easter Denomination, Pentecostal. And that person was saying that the Declaration of Faith, they have more teachings or articles on their, um, in their Declaration of Faith, which would make them more closer, earlier, you know, um, than us, as, as Church of God. So... You know, um, <laughs> and we use we use things like these to actually, uh, I don't know, say divide or to or to um, make the gospel more confusing. Yes, um, we're going to talk about holiness probably in a week or two, but um, you know, you're going the other direction, which is interesting because. You know, we can try to make people something more than saved. <laughs> you know, we, we can say, okay, they're saved, and then there's really saved, and then there's really, really saved, and then there's super-duper saved. And, uh, you know, some churches go that direction. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you one thing I know about holiness is holiness is an absolute condition. There are no, there's no degrees of it. Uh, <laughs> if you're in Christ, you're holy. If you're not in Christ, you're not holy. Uh, now, um, when we add things to the gospel, when we make the gospel a cumbersome, burdensome, uh, you know, we put some obstacle course up for people uh, to say, okay, you can repent, but that's still not going to be good enough. You're going to have to jump through a couple more hoops. That can be just as damaging and just as, as uh, uh, just as much of a, of a uh, of a false uh, gospel as as what we were talking about before. So uh, we, we have to understand the simplicity of the gospel. We have to understand that when a person repents and turns away from uh, their sin, they're also turning away from all other uh, all other philosophies or all other ideas about what it means to be saved or how to be saved or how to be right. There's only one way, and that's through uh, the person of Jesus Christ. Anybody else? Yes, Pastor. I just wanted to go back to just talk a little bit about when you mentioned about the the concerts and the, the best um, sound system or like that. I have no problem like like you, like the church is people doing that. But my problem is that after you've done all that and uh, at the 
biggest concerts, all the superstars, what really is the purpose behind that? Did you accomplish anything by having the best, but yet the, the folks that came walked out with not, not being touched are transformed by the work of Christ. So that's, that's where I, I fall. They can have it, but I come back to what I've always said. We can have all of the, the newness of what, what, what the offering we can accept, but if we leave the Spirit of the Lord out of all that, then we have done nothing, right? The Apostle Paul, I think in Corinthians, speaks about that he didn't come with, with excellence of speech or with knowledge, but he came in the demonstration of the power. Of, and, I'm, and I know I'm mixing up that verse right now, but something to effect that he came in the middle of the power of the Spirit. So if we leave the, 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 the value is not in the sound. The purpose must be, well, I'm giving, it, giving them the best, but God must have full preeminence in that situation. So when people come, they leave uh, knowing Christ, or if they didn't accept him, they're left with something in their heart that God was in this place or his presence was there. That is my take. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I think, um, and like I said before, anything we do for the Lord, we should do to the best of our abilities. And, you know, some churches are very blessed to have um, just amazing, uh, uh, talented people who, who also <laughs> love Jesus and are full of the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful. Um, uh, obviously, um, you know, when we talk about repentance and we talk about saving faith and we talk about the gospel, um, I, I'm not going to say presentation is irrelevant. Presentation matters. How we present the gospel to people is important. Um, to what Brother uh, uh, Farron was talking about earlier, you know, the way sometimes the gospel gets presented is, is, is a big uh, obstacle. It's a big, you know, turnoff. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's made to seem like, you know, this is not something that, uh, would even be desirable or attractive. I, I don't, I don't I don't think we should go that way. We should present the gospel honestly, sincerely, simply, uh, using the best available talent and the best available tools that we have. And the Holy Spirit will honor that and he'll honor it whether the person who's presenting it, and I was talking to somebody about this not that long ago. Somebody was telling me, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not an evangelist. I said, okay. I said, understand. Yeah, and by the way, I'm glad. I said, if everybody was a preacher, I'd be out of a job. I, I'm happy to be the one called to preach. I'm happy to be the one called to teach. Uh, uh, but even if you yourself are not called to specifically be a teacher or preacher, there is enough power in the gospel itself to accomplish uh, what it's presented to accomplish. You don't have to be uh, the one who, who gets up in the pulpit on Sundays or stands before the class or stands before the crowd. Just knowing or just, just speaking the word of life, just saying to somebody, God loves you, Jesus died for you, uh, God can set you free from your sins. Jesus rose from the dead so that you could have everlasting life. 
You know, it, it's not, I mean, a child can understand these things. A child can comprehend them. A child can share them. A child can say them. The power is in the gospel. It's not necessarily in the individual who, who speaks it. So all of us should have a, a basic understanding and a basic ability to just share the, the message itself. Uh, let me say another thing about repentance before we move on. Um, the confession of sin and the forsaking of sin is paramount in repentance. We, we, it, repentance is not merely saying you're sorry. That's, that is by itself is not repentance. If I, if I take a dollar that's not mine and I say I'm sorry, but I go back the next day and take another dollar, that's not repentance. Repentance is confessing our sin and our sinfulness and forsaking it, turning away from what we know to be wrong, the part of that change of attitude. I know this is wrong now. I have to turn away from it. This is the first fruit of saving faith. This is the evidence that salvation, that the born-again experience has has begun to take place in the life of a person. This is the evidence that the Spirit of God is already at work. Some people say, you know, when am I really saved? When am I officially saved? Is it when I'm baptized? Is it when I stand before the church? And can... From the moment the Spirit of God comes to dwell in your heart, you're saved. If anyone has the Spirit of Christ, they are Christ. And that first evidence that the Spirit of God is working in you is that change of direction and that change of attitude towards sin. If you, if you don't see that, if you, have come to, if you believe you've come to Christ or come to, to a saving relationship with God through Christ, and yet you're still comfortable in your sin, you're still comfortable doing all the same things that you were doing before, I would very much challenge you. I would challenge your, your condition because if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're not going to uh, be comfortable in a sinful life, in a sinful lifestyle. You're not going to be comfortable being around sin, being around things that you know are offensive to God. That, that evidence of saving faith, that evidence of the Spirit of God is first manifested in that repentant uh, model, that repentant change that takes place in your life. Anyone else want to uh, speak to that? Just, just one question. What, what, what place does restitution play in, in repentance? Uh, restitution is one of the fruits of repentance. It's one of the markers. It's if you have it within your ability, within your capacity, to uh, make restitution where you know you've done wrong. That is you know, what God desires. That's you know, God's will. If you've if you've taken something that's not yours, uh, you have to return it <laughs> with interest. <laughs> you know, if you have your neighbor's. Uh, 
if you've got your neighbor's cordless drill in a drawer in your kitchen, uh, you, you, you better take it back to him with a, with a brand-new battery in it. Um, restitution matters. It really does. Now, obviously, there's some things that aren't, you know, at least physically, you know, how, how do you make restitution for breaking somebody's heart? How do you make restitution for, uh, you know, hurting somebody's feelings? That's, that's a little different, a little more challenging. Uh, but you should definitely try if, if you've, if you've said something that wasn't true and it's damaged somebody's reputation or it's hurt somebody, you, you need to own up to that. You need to make it clear, uh, that what you said was false and that the person was not what you've told everybody they were. If you've, if you've done something, uh, in, you know, in, at work or, or, in your marriage or, you know, with your children, uh, you should do everything possible to make it right. It's not making it right isn't what saves you, but making it right is what gives evidence that you are being saved, that you are fundamentally changing in your character, in your nature, that you're becoming that new creature, that new creation. And uh, I, I'm, I believe very much in, yes, Go make it right. And I think this is supported. Even Jesus himself said, don't bring your gift to the altar if you know that uh, there's someone out there who has, has uh, a claim against you or you've done somebody wrong. Go, go make it right first and then come to the altar and, and offer your worship, offer your gifts. So uh, I think the Bible is pretty clear as far as my understanding on the topic of restitution. I, I expect there'll be a lot of neighbors surprised to get a knock on the door in the morning. As all, as all, as all quote unquote borrowed uh, objects are returned. All right. Um, you know, I, I, and I'll tell you this, and this is just a personal observation. Nothing damages your testimony as a Christian more than being untrustworthy. Uh, if if people can't trust you, if you're if you're if you've got a reputation for being a little shady, a little shifty, a little a little uh, you know uh, loose with the truth, uh, I, I wish you just wouldn't even tell anybody you're a Christian because <laughs> that is so that is so harmful. That is so harmful to to the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you're going to boast of being a Christian, you better be a very very good one. You better be one that people can depend on and trust and, and people have a reputation for being honest and being fair and just and all those things. All right. Um, faith is an essential response required of those who wish to be saved. It is the only human reaction that is counted for righteousness. So when we, when we say that we cannot be saved by, or when we say that we are saved by faith, it is not necessarily, it is the fact that our faith is counted as righteousness that makes the salvation possible. Um, God does not look on any human effort or human work uh, as righteous. There, there's none righteous, no, not even one. Um, we look at, uh, you know, probably the most famous story is Abraham, right? He was, he's known as the father of faith. You know, all who are of faith are Abraham's children. Um, 
but you know, an examination of his life really kind of uh, points out to the fact that many of the things in his life weren't necessarily what they should have been. You know, we know about the incidents with, uh, uh, you know, telling uh, a half-truth, I guess, if you want to be kind, about who Sarah was, not once, but twice. If you, if you want to, you, know, you point to the Hagar situation uh, as another example where, you know, we see Abraham not necessarily stepping up to the highest standards of righteousness, yet he himself is emblematic of what it means to be righteous in the eyes of God because of that faith. You know, Hebrews 11, I know, Reverend, uh, you were talking about this in some of your messages recently uh, about Hebrews 11 and, and that that hall of fame of faith and you know, that sixth verse, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All of our righteousness is based on faith. But what kind of faith? What kind of faith is counted as righteousness? Saving faith, righteous faith, is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have those three titles. Lord is his, is his kingly name, his sovereign name. Jesus is his salvation name, his, his Lamb of God name. Christ is his messianic name. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to believe unto the saving of the soul. It is, it is not a one-time event. I know we, we have that moment where we pass from death to life. We have that moment where we go from being lost to being found. We have that moment where we were blind, but now we see. But saving faith is not about a moment. It's, uh, it, it's not about a one-time event. It's about a thousand events each and every day where we believe and trust and put our confidence fully in the person of Jesus Christ. We're, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to believe that he is risen from the dead and that he is Lord. That is the, that is the confession of faith from Romans chapter 10. If we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, and confess with our mouth that He is Lord. That's saving faith. That is what we uh, believe when we say that we believe unto salvation. It's not a matter of just having faith in faith. It's faith in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not an event as much as it is a relationship. And to believe in Christ is to believe that God is in Christ and that God through Christ is reconciling us to himself. Do I have any comments or questions on saving faith? Now, with, with regards to saving faith, should, should we also understand that even this saving faith is a gift of and from God? 
The capacity to believe, yes. Every man is given a measure of faith. So God has placed within the human heart, mind, uh, soul, spirit, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, God has given to us the capacity to believe. And that, and that, by the way, is plainly evident in that even people who do not believe in Jesus Christ still believe in something, right? You know, whether that belief is in another God, a different God, a, an idolatrous God, whether that belief is in uh, science or politics or wealth or themselves or whatever you want to call it, uh, human Creatures, human beings, are uh, people of faith. Faith defines us. Faith is essential to what it means to be a human being. We have a consciousness of, you know, the, I, if you say, what's the biggest difference between a human and an animal or a plant or, or, or an inanimate object? We have this consciousness of the things we cannot see, right? Isn't that what, uh, Reverend, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Hebrews 11.1, faith is the uh, substance, right, and the evidence, uh, 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 substance of things not seen, the evidence, things we hope for, uh, or the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things we hope for. That's an, that statement, I, I could stop right here and preach you about a five-hour sermon on the incredible depth of that statement. I'm um, ready. Okay. Buckle up. Everybody, get yourself a cup of coffee. It's going to be a long night. <laughs> but, you know, you know I, I, when I get home in the evenings, you know, I, I come in, you know, greet the wife, greet the dog. Uh, you know, put my stuff down. The dog runs up, you know, and he wants to go play. He wants to go in the backyard and chase cats or lizards or whatever. And you know, it, it's it's a you know, it's kind of a simple way to unwind. But that dog, for all of whatever he is, he has no concept. You know, when the lizard is not there for him to see, or when the cat is hiding in the bush or whatever. He knows there's such a thing as a cat. He knows there's such a thing as a lizard because he's seen it. He has no concept of anything he's never seen. If he hasn't seen it in his mind, in his world, it does not exist. And you can say the same thing about monkeys and whales and horses and zebras and, and camels and, and, you know, trees. You know, they, they, they're capable of recognizing if, if, I, if, I, if I take the dog out front he can see the, the dogs walking down the street. That's when they impinge on his consciousness. That's when he becomes aware of them. If he can't see them, he has no knowledge of them, no understanding of them. The biggest thing about being human, uh, the, the biggest part of being human, is this ability to envision, to visualize, to comprehend things we cannot see and have never seen and may never see. You know, I got, you know, Nobel winning scientists telling me that uh, this whole world is made of molecules and atoms. Has anybody ever seen them? You know, <laughs> we have this ability to, to visualize 
the abstract, the unknowable to our five senses, to our sight, to our smell, to our taste and touch, to our hearing, becomes comprehensible to our minds. And I, 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 I don't know if I'm losing it. Let me, let me try to tighten it up. When Paul or when Hebrews talks about faith being the evidence of the things we cannot see and the substance of things we hope for, I, I think it's one of the first couple of examples that he gives. It might be the first one. I think it is the first one. I don't have it in front of me, but I think he says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God and the things that are visible consist of things that are not visible. He's writing that 2,000 years ago. There's no telescopes. There's no microscopes. There's no concept of, of what we today would even recognize as science. And yet here he is saying faith has made it possible to see beyond our own eyes and to, and to, and to sense things that are real even when they're not tangible and they're not temperable and we can't touch them. That is a gift from God. I, you know, I know it's a long road to go back, but to go back to your question, that is the gift from God that he's placed in each one of us. And, and you don't, it's, it's not simply the religious, it's not merely those who, who have had uh, some mystical uh, experience or some you know, transcendent uh, event happen in their life. Every human being on the planet has that gift in them, that capacity to sense what they can't see and to taste and, uh, or what they can't taste or can't touch. Now, to take it one step further and to, to kind of put a bow on the sermon, you know, I think the question you asked, brother, was directed, does God himself activate that faith in the event of salvation or do we and i would say it's it's a it's 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 both god coming to us through the word of the gospel through the the testimony of the church of the christian through the holy spirit operating through that person that's, that's the God part, and then there's the reciprocation, that gift that he's placed in us, that capacity to, to, to comprehend truth, even when that truth is not um, visible or verifiable in the moment we're in. Uh, that is something that is God's gift to us, but that we have to use. You know, any gift, uh, the most wonderful gifts that God gives are, are useless if we don't actually use them and don't actually activate them. And that gift of faith, great gift that God gives us, but if we don't actually use it. When Jesus responded to, remember the stories of Jesus and the centurion and Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, and Jesus and uh, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, and all these other... What, what, what was his comments to them? His comments to them was, uh, to the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has saved you. He didn't say, 
well, God saved you by giving you some faith and then helping you use that faith to believe. He said, no, your faith has saved you. To the centurion and to the, the Syrophoenician woman, he turns to the ground and says, I haven't seen such great faith even in all of Israel. Um, so he's clearly, when he's interacting with people, he is crediting the faith that they're that they are showing in evidence, and he's crediting to that faith to them, not to God himself working through them, uh, even though it's right to say that faith as a gift existed because God gave it. It was up to them to use it and to activate it. And it's the same thing with us. Every person has the capacity to believe the gospel, but not every person chooses to believe the gospel. Not every person chooses to believe in Jesus Christ. They choose not to activate, to use that faith in the, for the purpose for which God gave them that faith. And you know, I, I don't know if I've made it clearer or I've made it cloudier, <laughs> so, but that, that's about as far as I think I can go just in the confines of where we are tonight. Anyone else want to speak to that? Or did that come across with any clarity at all? Crystal, okay. but Pastor, when you look at when we look at our own salvation in terms of when we got saved, it is true to say that we had to activate it. I remember as a youngster when I heard that message, right? Something moved within me when I walked to the altar, right? I had to make a decision. So. Though, though the gift of faith God has given me, I, I still have to activate. So I, so I agree with you. We have to activate that which God has given to us in terms of coming to Him and you know doing those things that we, we, we should do in living for Christ. So I agree there. Amen. Okay. Okay. So I, 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 I remember. I, I remember Zacchaeus when he said. <laughs> I have restored to every man fourfold of which I've, I've, I've taken from him. Now we're talking about restitution, but that, that restitution and, and what he did, I, I, I think that needed a measure. There had to be a measure of faith in that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you know, as, 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 as we were talking about earlier about repentance, repentance is, is the first evidence of faith. You know, it's the first proof that that faith has begun to uh, work in the life of of a person. And you know, I, I know I know some some are very uh, anti giving human beings any say at all in their own salvation. You know, the, the more extreme Calvinists want you know want to credit God with the whole process from start to finish and make human beings mere, uh, you know, puppets or, or just, just, you know, actors carrying out God's will and instructions. And, and I understand their motives. They really are trying to honor God by giving him full control of the process from start to finish. And, and I, I can appreciate them wanting to eliminate any human uh, effort or human idea from the equation. 
But understand that it's, it's just as much, it honors God just as much if we say that the gift of faith is present because of God's grace, because of God's love, because of God's mercy. If God did not give us that gift of faith, we could not respond. We would be unable to respond. So God still gets glory from the giving of the gift, even when we credit the actual using of the gift or implementing the gift to the individual person. Uh, I, you know, if I if I go out and, and you know buy my wife a, or, or, or if I buy um, the family, you know a, a, a beautiful uh, uh, I don't know what you know for my wife for Mother's Day we got her a, a swing, and uh, you know it's it's put out front of the house and you know the Noah and Ethan put it together and you know put it out front and and. We can say that, in one sense, um, that was a gift from me to my wife, and I should get all the credit for it. But in another sense, if no one, if 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 she never actually goes out there and sits on it, it just if it just sits out there, and you know the cats and the lizards and the birds are the only ones ever use it, it's a fairly useless gift. You know, every gift has to be uh, put to use and put to. Uh, implemented in order for the gift to be realized, in order for the gift to be fulfilled. And that's what we're talking about with faith. Yes, God is the one who gives us the faith, but we're the one that has to use it and implement it in order for it to be effective. Um, I know we're out of time. Let me just close out uh, the last couple of points here in the lesson uh, so we can move on for next week. Faith Faith exists as a gift, but it also can be increased and can be developed. Romans 10 tells us that saving faith comes by hearing the Word of God, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you can let your faith sit dormant, and it can become so dormant as to be, uh, as to be useless, as to be uh, uh, void or, or, or <coughs> invalid, but the Word of God can bring it alive. The Word of God can empower it, and the Word of God can provoke it. So we talked about it earlier. Even if you're not a preacher, even if you're not a teacher, simply sharing the gospel, the gospel itself, the Word of God itself has a power, has a, has a, a capacity, especially when the Holy Spirit uh, is using it to stir up the faith that is in somebody else's heart and mind. And, of course, we know that faith is manifested not only by believing with the heart, but also confessing with the mouth, testifying through our words and our works, uh, our obedience motivated by love and persevering to the end. Uh, again, I go back to what I said earlier. Saving faith is not a single event. It's not a single moment. There's a, it's a lifetime of event. It's a lifetime of of choices. It's a lifetime of day in, day out, and a thousand times a day, choosing to believe, choosing to trust, choosing to put your confidence in Jesus Christ. And that evidence of that is definitely uh, manifested in your life by 
um, by your character, by your your commitment. You know, I know I know we're struggling right now. A lot of people are struggling right now with their commitment to even just going to church or being part of the house of God or the or the community of Christ. And I, I tell you, it, it's very concerning to me uh, because it's very easy to let that faith go dormant. We need to be interacting. If we can't do it in person, we need to do it this way by by phone or by you know, by computer or by some other means to keep that faith growing, to keep it active, to keep it sharpening, to keep it uh, uh, effective and, and ready because over the course of time, it gets, you know, it gets challenged. It gets, you know, the obstacles are raised. Uh, we go through experiences. We, we have valleys. We have mountains. And perseverance is key. Um, when I look back at the last you know, 35 years or whatever it's been of, of, of serving the Lord, I can tell you there have been times where my faith was weak. There have been times where my faith was strong. There have been times where my faith was uh, inadequate to the circumstances. <laughs> but if you can just hang on, if you can persevere, if you can just you know stay with it, uh, that faith will continue to keep you, and will continue to allow God to work in each and every situation in your life. God bless you all. Have a good evening, and we'll talk with you next week. Amen. Good night, everyone. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.